You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Please uh, grab your Bible and follow along with me as we look at Luke uh, chapter 12 uh, this afternoon. Uh, Let me begin with a question. What is life? What is life? What is life for? I know it's a Sunday, but let's get the brains in gear. What is life? What is life for? After I finished university, I lived in a house with a, a group of guys, and one of the guys, Dave, life, he wasn't a Christian, and life, he said, was the advancement of mankind. What did he mean? He meant that he could trace through the centuries the advancement of technology, the advancement of medicine, and the advancement of intellect. And it was his meaning of life was to bless the world with his intellect, as it were, really to help drive the advancement of mankind. Humanist UK, what is life? This is what they say. Let us begin with a brutal fact. As far as we know, life has no specific meaning. How utterly hopeless. How utterly depressing is that? As far as we know, life has no specific meaning. But as we live life, as we have friends and family, and well, what is life might be a good conversation starter, wouldn't it? Because you'll get a different answer from everybody else. But the bottom line, I think, is that everybody is longing for a full life, a full life in some sense. And well, often we look for a long life, or for a full life, sorry, we long for a full life, but we ignore Jesus who gives a full life. That's the reality. We long for a full life, but more often than not, we ignore Jesus who gives this full life. And there's great wisdom to what Jesus says here in verse 15, isn't there? What is life not about? Life is not about the abundance of possessions. It's great wisdom. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions because Jesus knows And we know that there's a full security in possessions, isn't there? There's a full security because we feel that we have all that we need, all that we want. We don't need anything else. We just need to find that thing or that. We need to have more, that we would have a full life. In the Greek, and don't don't get bored, (laughs) the Greek, there's three words for life. One is bios, where we get biology from, living things. The second is sight, which is the soul, the emotions, that idea of having goals or commitments or values. And that's what we see the world living for, isn't it? There's a a goal that I had. There's values that have to be obtained and maintained, or in our view, decreased values. And there's a commitment that I had, isn't there? That's what the world lives for. But the word that Jesus used, where life, life does not consist of abundance of possessions, life is zoe, that idea of fullness of life, life that only Jesus can give, that idea in John's gospel about the fullness of life. What is that life? That's what we're thinking about today, that fullness of life. But as we return to Luke's gospel, we need to kind of rejig our memories, don't we? What's been going on? We can't just drop in. In chapter 10, if you just flick back in your Bible, Jesus has sent out 72. He sent out his followers two by in twos, and they're to go, and they're to serve Jesus, and they go with themselves only, as it were. 
They weren't to carry any, you see that in verse 4, no money bag, no sandals, greet no one on the road, but go to a house and they'll look after you. Okay? So that's, what, that's what's happening. And then we have the, the woes and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mary and Martha, Jesus teaches them to pray. And in the chapter 11, at the end of the chapter, we have Jesus giving woes to the Pharisees and the lawyers. And Jesus is saying to them, Pharisees, lawyers, religious leaders, you look sparkling on the outside. You look lovely and clean, but the inside, you're filthy, you're dirty. And Jesus is saying to everybody else, Pharisees, corrupt. They might look good and shiny on the outside, but their hearts are wrong and they corrupt. And as we move into chapter 12 to this parable, Jesus is saying, stuff, abundance of possessions looks really good on the outside, but on the inside it will corrupt us. And at the end of chapter 11, Jesus, we're told, goes away from there. The scribes and Pharisees try to press him. They provoke him to try and speak about things. They were lying in wait for him to catch Jesus out. They're waiting for Jesus to make a false move. For, from, so from chapter, the end of chapter 11, start of 12, right through, Jesus is only heading one way, and it's to Jerusalem. The Pharisees are looking to catch him out. And here in chapter 12, many thousands are around Jesus. They're trampling over one another. Jesus is speaking. And whenever we get to verse 13, it's almost as if there's a heckler in the crowd. Whenever I did one of my placements in Scrabble, Newton Ards, there was a man who was a notorious heckler. He had been preaching, and he would shout something out. And he tried to get a, an answer, perhaps, or something, because he, he was relatively new to the faith and just wanted to know, and he heckled. And here, this question in verse 13, is like a heckler. It's maybe even someone trying to catch Jesus out. What do you think? Jesus, will you sort out this problem for me as there's Pharisees that could maybe weigh in? But Jesus is not interested in a family dispute here. This heckle, this question, Jesus doesn't rise to. Sure he doesn't. Jesus ignores it. But whenever Jesus hears the question, as though Jesus doesn't really answer it, doesn't Jesus get right to the heart of the issue? Jesus is able to perceive and recognize something in that man's question and in the people around him that he's able to say in verse 15 what the problem is, the diagnosis, if you like, of the problem. What's the diagnosis here in Luke 12? The diagnosis is covetousness. Jesus, our physician, diagnoses this man with coveting. So uh, in verse 13, there doesn't appear to be a, a, any reason why he should have some of the inheritance. It's, he just wants it. He is longing for it. He, he just wants more and more and more. And coveting is something that we all suffer from, isn't it? We all suffer in different ways, as it were. J.C. Ryle, he, he writes that there is no sin that the heart is more prone than coveting. Isn't that interesting? There's no more sin, or there's no sin uh, that our heart is more prone to than coveting, looking for stuff. And that is why, whenever Jesus tackles it here, but it's also why it's in the commandments, isn't it? It's the 10th the commandment, do not covet. And, well, in many ways, it's quite strange in there, isn't it? Let's think about it. Think about those commandments. Do not murder. That's pretty obvious. That's pretty big, isn't it? We all would know if something that happened. 
Do not lie. Well, we can understand why that's a bad. We can understand why you get caught out and why people would know about it. Coveting. Do you know what I covet? It's subtle, isn't it? Some of you might. But it's more subtle. As I look around, I couldn't pinpoint exactly what you covet. It's a subtle sin. It's one that doesn't really get the, the, the fresh light of day on, is it? Isn't it? But you see, whenever we covet after things, whenever we have a, a longing and desire for other things, what we are doing is we're denying God's provision. We are denying God's providence in our lives. We say to God, actually, God, I really need this thing. I really want it. I need it. We're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what I need. So in the life of Elijah, what does God do? God provides for Elijah, doesn't he? God is wise in his provision for Elijah. And that's why whenever Jesus gives this parable and he moves on to verse 22 and onward, do not be anxious about anything. Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies. I look after them, so I will look after you. Yet, when we covet, what do we say to God? You don't know what you're doing. I need this, and I need it now. That's what we say whenever we covet other things. So we have this longing desire for a relationship with somebody. Maybe we're jealous and someone's stolen our best friend. Or maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe we are desiring and longing for a reputation that someone else has or material resources that others have. Maybe we've got stuff that's left us in maybe financial difficulties just because we wanted it. Do not covet because it is dangerous. We can covet people, things, and different situations. Yes, we might not covet a donkey or an ox, but we covet different things. And what is the source of this coveting? See, it's easy whenever people flaunt their stuff, isn't it? Whenever people have all the stuff and they let everybody know that they have the stuff, it's easy for us to say, that is why I covet. It's because they show it off all the time and I see how good it is. But that is not the source of our coveting. What is the cause and the source? It's our heart. It's our sinful heart. It's not the fault of our neighbor or a friend who has so much. It's our own heart. Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden, they were not satisfied with all that God had given them. They wanted more. They coveted more. See, coveting is a problem in our hearts, and what it does is it means that we just constantly look out at others. We constantly look out, and we become jealous that we want it, rather than looking, I guess, to what we have and up, thanking God for what he has provided for us. Jesus diagnoses the problem. Coveting. Coveting is the disease here in this man, and it's a disease in each of our hearts. Nothing we're more, more prone to, J.C. Ryle says. And this man's plan in Jesus' parable, isn't it the plan of many of our lives, sadly? It's certainly the plan of Western Europe, isn't it? Make as much money as quickly as you can. Store it up as quickly as you can so that you can quit as soon as you can. Isn't that right? Try and get as much stuff as possible so that you can retire, eat, drink, and be merry. Sadly, that's for Christians too often, isn't it? We covet, we want more and more, and the cause is our sinful hearts. The diagnosis is our coveting. 
And Jesus, to illustrate the coveting, uses this parable of the, the rich fool. And to keep with our doctor on call theme, well, as we look at this parable, what are the symptoms and preventions that we need to take place? What do we need to do? So in verse 15, as Jesus hears this heckle from the crowd, as he hears this question, he says a couple of things that are really important. He says, watch out. Watch out. This is really strong and urgent from Jesus. Be on your, be on your guard, he says, too. Watch out for symptoms. Be on your guard against the symptoms. Do something about them. All kinds of covetousness. You need to watch out. So what are some of the symptoms that Jesus identifies here? The first one's this. Verse 15, wanting more. So clearly this brother is not satisfied with whatever way this inheritance is broken up, and he just wants more. Maybe he wants whatever the father had. Maybe he wants more of the land. He wants more of this inheritance in any way. Whatever it is, the first symptom is wanting more. And we're the same, aren't we? We can get a lovely, glossy magazine, can't we? There's a country living or something. And we can open it up and like, wow, what a kitchen. I want my cupboards to look like that. We can look at clothes. Isn't it the case, whatever Kate Middleton wears, that it sells out pretty quickly? Why? Because everybody wants that. Everybody wants it more. We can look to appliances and toys, to new football boots, whatever it is, cars, holidays, homes. We always want more. We look to maybe others' abilities too and circumstances and say, I want, I want more of that in my life. I want more free time. What are we doing? We're coveting, aren't we? Wanting more turns our hearts. It turns our hearts to idolatry, doesn't it? That it becomes the desire of our heart. What does Jesus say in those last verses I read? Verse 20, 32, 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want it, if you want more, that's where your heart will be. That's a, a fatal symptom. But what is the prevention to this? What is the prevention? Well, it's contentment, isn't it? To, to be on our guard and to be content. We're all attracted to different things. But we need to learn to be content with what we have. Melissa Kruger has a, a wonderful book called The Envy of Eve. And this is a quote that she has. Covetousness leaves little room for anything healthy to grow and blooms a life of discontentment. If you want more, it'll be like a weed growing up in your life. It will not be anything healthy, but it will bloom. It'll be a, a sharp thistle, and it will be there. It'll not be pretty. It blooms into a life of discontentment. It chokes the fruit of the Spirit that would show in our lives otherwise. We have these weeds growing up because this weed of coveting, this wanting more, it drives a wedge. If we want more what other people have, we become envious and jealous, and it drives a wedge in our relationship with that person. It drives a wedge in our relationship with God. Why? Because we're sinning. That's why discontentment, that's why wanting more cannot produce good fruit. We need to learn to be content. Paul in Philippians, what does he say? I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. I have learned to be content. Stop wanting more. Look up and be content with what God has given you. Symptom one, 
wanting more. Symptom 2, verses 16 through to 18, being selfish. Do you notice this man, the land produced the, the crops, and especially in, in Jesus' time, very reliant on the weather. There was no, no, no irrigation as such that he could manipulate the land. All down to God. And what does he say? You see that? It's, it's crazy in many ways, isn't it? Verse 17, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. I will store all my grain, my goods. It's all I, 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 me, 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 isn't it? He's incredibly selfish. He's like a super hoarder, isn't he? Do you know those people? You almost need to have an extra space in the garage or an extra shed outside to store all the stuff that they're hoarding. This is what this guy's doing. He's being incredibly selfish, keeping all that God has given him to himself. He is selfish. He's looking only in the mirror rather than looking out to others and to God to thank him. He is holding tightly, isn't he? He's holding on tightly to what he has. He's not letting go. It's mine. It's like kids fighting over a toy, isn't it? It's mine. I'm not letting go. Or a dog with a bone. That's what people are like. That's what we're like when we're selfish. That's a really dangerous symptom. But how do we prevent that? When blessed, we give generously. When we are blessed with much, we don't close our fists up, not letting go, but we loosen our grip because we recognize all that we have from God and we're able to give. We're able to look to others and their needs. It's not how God works. God uses people, his people, to provide for the needs of others. Think of Elijah over the last number of weeks. The widow. Didn't the widow provide for Elijah? Think of his disciples here who are listening to this. Not long ago, they were sent out in twos with just the clothes on their back. And they went from door to door preaching Jesus. And who provided for them? The people. And maybe, just maybe, isn't it? We have been blessed with so much. Maybe, just maybe, God has blessed us with much. Not that we would be selfish with it. Not that we would build family dynasties that our, the Bingham name would be all over the world. Not that we would build a name and a reputation for ourselves. But maybe, just maybe, we've been given much that we can give. That we can provide for God's people. Where we can provide for the needs of others. Instead of being selfish, to guard against that, let's give generously. The third symptom, thinking life is about the here and now in verse 19. So whenever he builds up his barns, what does the man say to himself? I say, I will eat, drink, and be merry. I will relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, he thinks life is about now. He's done it all. He's going to take it handy. I don't know, maybe go on a weekend to Jerusalem somewhere. I don't know. He's going to take it easy. Life is going to be sweet. He's going to eat, drink, and be merry. He's built up his kingdom, and he's going to sit on it. He thinks life is about the here and now. Aren't we tempted to think that too? Life is about the here and now. We are get so caught up in careers, in work, caught up in education, 
in many different things, we think life is about the here and now. What does God call people who think life is about the here and now? Fools. Life is not about the here and now. We need to have the correct definition of life. You see, the world at the moment, and many of us perhaps, we live for the here and now. The, the most, the, the, the most uh, quickest pleasure we can have, or uh, we need to have something now. We live for the here and now. That is that psyche word in the Greek. That life identified as goals, values, and commitment. Isn't that the world in which we live? They think life is about goals, values, and commitments. Maybe the goals to retire. Maybe the goals to see a legislation go through. Maybe the value put on a political ideology. Maybe a commitment that other people should have. That is not life. Verse 15, Jesus says, life does not consist. He is talking about the fullness of life. And when the man talks to himself, he is talking about values, goals, and commitments. He hasn't got the right definition. We need to have the correct definition of life that it's eternal. It's the here, the now, and forever. A wise person knows that. A wise person knows that life is just not now. That there is life forever. We need to have the correct definition of life. So verse 33, that we would provide ourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Correct definition of life is the true treasure. It's Jesus, isn't it? And well, Jesus is the remedy to all the problems, isn't he? He's the, the to prevent all our symptoms, to prevent our diagnosis. Jesus is our remedy for life. He's the one who is life. In verse 21, so God has told this, or said, this man's a fool. Your life is over. This life is required of you. People will be fools. Often we can be fools. But the remedy, verse 21, is said negatively, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. In other words, you're a fool if you lay up treasure for yourself now. But you're wise if you're rich towards God. See, definition of life is this Zoe, this fullness of life that we have in Jesus. And Jesus is the remedy for it. That we would be rich towards God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean paying your way to heaven. It means valuing what God values. It means that we value Jesus above everything else. That we value his gospel above all else. That we look to the cross and we marvel at God's love for us. That we are rich in our love and our affection towards Jesus. For it's his grace that he lavishes on us. That is being rich towards God. Looking to Jesus. Valuing him above everything else. Because only Jesus gives us a full life. Jesus is that treasure. Jesus is the one who is that Zoe life. The here, now, and forever life. Jesus at the cross... He deals with our coveting. Isn't that good? The sin that we all have in common, the sin that many people don't know about, a secret sin in many ways. Jesus deals on the cross with our coveting. And we should long for his love and for his grace. What is life? 
Life is Jesus. Life is a person, isn't it? We long for a full life. We covet after stuff in this life. We long for a full life. We look at anything in any given day. We long for it. We want it. We see others looking for a full life, and they can't have it. Why? Because they're not looking to the right person. We long for a full life, and it is Jesus alone who can give us a full life. Don't ignore Jesus. Don't be a fool is what God says. You are a fool if you think life is about the here and now. You're a fool. But a wise man, what does a wise man do? He builds his house upon the rock of Jesus and trusts in him. 